Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series dedicated to helping all of us talk more openly about money. Each show features a special guest who will share with you one of their favorite money myths. Then together, we'll discuss how to bust that myth wide open. My name is Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, and I'm your host. My company is KBK Wealth Connection. It's a company committed to helping women, couples, families, and their financial team shatter money taboos and learn how to effectively talk about money matters. It is my honor today to be joined by a friend and colleague, Shell Tane. Let me tell you a little bit about Shell before we welcome her to the call. She is known as the Untangler, which is interesting. Uh, she's a credentialed certified coach, a money coach who knows how to help people make changes. She also, in a former life, was an accountant and controller, and she gained firsthand money experience in everything from startups to mid-sized companies. She knows that improving, um, improving the way you are with money isn't just about number crunching. That's why we connected. And her coaching focuses on how you, your feelings, beliefs, and attitudes about money affect your progress in fulfilling your goals. If you work with her, you'll improve your confidence and effectiveness with money. And I have to tell you so much more. Shell helps you find a way out of your money knot. Thanks, Shell, for being on the call today. You're very welcome. It's always fun to play with you. Oh, thanks. Uh, I love that you're my friend and colleague, and we can delve right into uh, your favorite money myth, which you've identified as, I have to know everything about money to feel safe. So tell me a little bit about why you picked that myth and uh, why it's your favorite. Well, I, uh, part of why I picked it was because it's one of those things that a true myth really is. It's like we believe it's the truth instead of thinking it's a myth. Yes. Uh, so it was sort of fun to think about, okay, that is a thing that I've decided is absolutely necessary, as if the capital T truth. And, you know, it's probably not, actually. So that makes it a myth. Okay. Um, so tell me how this particular myth, and it can either be you or it can be your clients, whatever you decide um, you want to talk about. How does this myth actually serve you and how does it potentially get in the way because some people on the line are going to be like wait a second I believe that I don't think that's a myth yeah so so um, I think I'll talk about myself because I'm not sure I've got a lot of clients that actually have this one going for them unfortunately um, because they tend to avoid money is more of the clients that I get oh gotcha uh, so they tend to avoid looking at it but I, I think it serves me in that I have a sense of control, um, I know what's going on, and I also notice very clearly that when things have gotten tough in my life, that being in control and understanding what's going on with the money and really watching it and having control of it again, using that word, there's, that word is big, is it, it helps me a lot with my security. It helps me feel like I know what I'm up against and I know how to handle it. And so. you know what, as somebody who was uh, many, many years ago uh, actively working in the banking and finance industry, I kind of identify with what you're talking about in terms of control. Um, so it sounds like at times they get rough to kind of be able to control and focus in on knowing everything about money can actually f help you, at least in the short run, feel better. So I'm curious, how does it get in the way or how does, how, how does it actually cause a problem? Because it, it's kind of what we hear in society that we should, you know be all knowing about finances and have our act together? I think the place that it causes a problem is actually in relationships. 
And I think that if we have a situation, which I usually have had in my myriad of relationships, where I have control of the money, then there's this thing where the other person gets to sort of abdicate and, and they get to go off and sort of pretend like money doesn't exist. And they can then necessarily, you know, it, it becomes, I mean, money often becomes a power place with couples. You, you and I have talked yes. about that yep. before. Um, and that power differential gets odder when one person has a bunch of knowledge and the other doesn't. It doesn't mean that the person with the knowledge necessarily has all the power, but it messes it up. So, you know, as you're talking about this, what I'm thinking is that often there's couples out there, and I certainly can identify with this a little bit uh, in my earlier relationship, where there is one person who kind of controls things and oversees things and is more financially knowledgeable. But you're actually talking about something that's even more polarizing than that. Is that correct? Yes. I'm, I'm talking about the, the, the person, I think, you know, because I've always been in the situation where I have control of the money, or at least... I'm the one that manages it. I'm a, I am a recovering accountant. It's a natural for me. <laughs> I've been doing this since I was five. You know, I've, you and I've talked about that too. But so I'm the person that manages it. But sometimes that means that the other person just goes off and spends it because they don't think about it. They don't have to worry about it. It's so interesting because I was just on another um, podcast where I was interviewing a financial advisor and his money myth had to do with the fact that you, uh, the myth was you could delegate the family finances to one partner. So it's, it's kind of the flip side of that. And mm -hmm. so my sense is, and I know, like I said before, this played out earlier in my marriage, um, where if one person has control, and that would be me, and the other person kind of gets to put their head in the sand, um, at the time it was my husband, um, it, in my language, it almost sets up this parent-child situation, right? Where I yes. get to be in control and the parent, which sometimes can feel good, but sometimes doesn't feel good at all. And then um, my husband, Brian, who no longer does this, but used to be able to really be the child, either spending or not worrying about it or, you know, playing video games when I was balancing the checkbook, which was always, you know, good for the relationship. <laughs> well, and, and not only they get to be the child, but they get to be the renegade teenager. You Say know. a little bit more about that. Well, they get to go off and spend money on, on things that, that are fun for them. And, and then you're kind of, you're, yes, it's a parent thing, but it's like dealing sometimes with the renegade teenager that says, I'm going to do what I want. You know, I mean, what do teenagers say when their parent says, no, you need to rein it in or we have to, we have to stay within certain boundary or something like that. So, so it can get to be messy in that way, too. And so ultimately what happens if, if a couple stays or at least one partner stays in this myth uh, and there's that power differential and, um, you know, a dynamic that certainly is not peer-to-peer. -peer. What ultimately do you see happening, whether it's in your life or the people you've worked with lives? Well, I think there gets to be, um, it, it, in, in, in part of the coach training I've had, there's a thing that you kind of call rank and revenge. Ooh, I haven't heard of that. Tell me. When you get a power differential, then people pull rank and then the other people get revenge. And, and I think around this kind of thing, it can be either way. Um, the, the person that's managing the money could consider themselves as having rank or the person that has the free will, the, the sort of uh, carte blanche, that would be the better word, 
that thinks they can do whatever they want, they kind of have the rank, and then there's a revenge piece. So we've seen that a lot in couples, right, where there's one person that's exerting some sort of power, and the other person is revengeful, so they get back to them in, in less than subtle ways. Well, you know, it reminds me of a couple I worked with a long time ago when I was still coaching uh, couples, and basically... Uh, he was very controlling of the money and very on top of it. Controlling might be a strong word, but he definitely was on top of it. And every time that she was upset about it, more packages would show up at the door because she had charged more and bought more clothes. And so I see that as kind of rank and revenge. Would that be what you're talking about? Yes, that's very, very common. That that if, the, if there's one person, the other person may be hiding it, may be... Um, maybe flaunting it, but whatever, there's this sort of thing of like, you think you're going to tell me what I can do? Ha. Right. You. So if people are listening and they're, they are in the midst of either working on this myth, or maybe they're listening today and for the first time realize, ooh, that's a little bit like me and my relationship. What would you suggest or what advice would you give them to help them kind of pull themselves out of this myth or bust it open and, and try something different? Well, in, in my experience, what we've got generally is with a couple, we usually have two different personality types. And, you know, the spender saver, the crunchy, the person that wants to crunch the numbers, the person that doesn't want to look at them, etc. And I think that it's finding that bridge between them, finding some way that, for example, that somebody like me that's the crunchy person can create reports that are simple enough, that are big picture enough that that other person can look at them and say, oh, okay, I get what's going on. Um, it's also, I mean, I do have some tools that I've developed over time about this, but it's also, it's about finding a way that we can find a middle ground where everybody gets honored and there's not, you're the bad guy or you're the bad guy, you know, whoever's the bad guy. There's not a bad guy. So in other words, it's like, okay, if you have an urge to have an Excel excuse me, spreadsheet and it's in great detail and your partner has the urge to never see an Excel spreadsheet, yes, <laughs> it yes. may be that you get to do your spreadsheet, but then you have a conversation each month about where things are at or mm -hmm. um, you know, whatever the other person's kind of learning style. So both people are respected. Exactly. So if, if your partner, let's say, is a very creative type person, then you might create like a, a pie chart mm -hmm. or a bar graph in color and say, this is, you know, this is how much we spend on food and this is how much we're spending on clothes and this is, you know, da, 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 da. And they can see it, but it's not in numbers. I love that idea because a lot of times people learn in such different ways. I know I'm a words person and mm -hmm. um, my husband would respond to a pie chart much better than I would. And those creative types actually can see the proportions faster than we crunchy types can look at the numbers. It, uh, they, yeah. it, they have that sense of proportion. And so if, if, you know, if that's the situation, which it often is, there's somebody that's more left-brained in their processing and more right-brained in their processing. And so if, if it's typically the left-brained person that'll make the conversion because that's a matter of just telling your spreadsheet to make a pie chart boom, you know, it's typically that person that's going to need to make that thing more accept accessible to the other person. So I'm curious, you mentioned you have some tools. Do you mind mentioning one or two and letting me know kind of what those tools are or how listeners might be able to uh, access those tools? 
Sure. The, the one that came to mind as you were talking about this, which worked really well for me in, in a relationship, um, was a, the thing I call my gosh model, which is when you're, when you're spending money, I'm going to give you the short version of it. And if somebody wants to call me or set up a, a untangling, not phone call kind of free goodie, we can go over it. It's fine. Um, but the gosh model is based on four letters, G-O-S-H. And the concept is that when you're spending money, you want to think of which of those four letters you're actually using. So G would be for growth. Growth would mean um, um, adding money to something, personal growth, maybe doing a training, saving money for retirement, having a, a business. Almost every expense that you put into your business is geared for growing the business. Then O is obligation, which is taxes, interest, penalties, buying presents for some friend's kid's birthday that you don't want to buy presents for, but you're obligated. Yes. Um, and obligation we want to have as low as is reasonable. S is for sustaining, which means roof overhead basics, sort of basic utilities basics. And we want to have S not go up and down except for changes in the weather. And then H is for heart, which is that stuff that we really, really care about. And, and so basically, when you're spending money, you want to think, okay, which bucket am I using? Now, it, this gets more complex, et cetera, but when, they, when we're talking about with a couple, if you have a spouse, for example, my last spouse was a record collector, and, and that's not like just sort of like a record collector. He had 8,078. Wow. And then there were the albums and the cassettes and the CDs and the 45s and the reel-to-reels and the eight tracks and the, you know, okay. So he wanted to spend money. He continued to want to spend money buying more records, which to me was just insane because <laughs> you got thousands of them. But... As, I, as we talked about it and I got that this was a heart place for him, then it was easy for us to talk about, okay, so what's, what's the amount of money for you to spend a year on this heart thing? And for me to not begrudge because it's something that is his heart thing. He really cares about it. And so then when I go spend some money on something that he thinks is ridiculous, like clothes, well, that's a heart thing for me in some ways, some kinds of clothes. I love that model because not only does it help you think about the different buckets where your money goes and how you make those decisions and what you're shooting for, it also is a nice way to have a discussion about what do you think is something that's growth versus what do you think is something that's heart and how it could be different, right? It's, it, yes, to person. it's, it's really good because it get it lets the couple talk and it's also a great way to start kids playing with money stuff. Huh. I'm because really glad I asked. That's a really cool Shell always has cool models. So if you do want to give her a call and set up a time to have a discussion, I, I highly recommend it. Every discussion I have with her, I'm always walking away going, ah, aha. Like I always <laughs> learn something, which is uh, really kind of fun. Um, so tell me a little bit about like if you were working with yourself or you probably have worked with yourself around this myth. So the myth is I have to know everything about money to feel safe. What is a healthier statement to make 
for yourself? Or how have you replaced that? Do you have any reframe of that money myth? Um, I think what I'm really holding now is the possibility that that I could I could have other people be engaged in the money process also and we could share it. It's always sort of been, I think the myth has been somebody does it and somebody else doesn't. But there needs to be some kind of place of, you know, if you're in a relationship, like is there some, some way that it gets shared? It may not be every little piece shared down the middle, but handed back and forth or something so that there's an engagement in it. And the possibility, the new possibility is that there'd be somebody that would not only be willing, but be interested in doing that. Yes, because I think that when it comes to dollars and cents, it's much, it's so much more, as you know, than just um, how we pay the rent and how we get by and what we earn. I think with with couples, which we're talking a lot about today, there's there's an increased intimacy if you're able to share in the finances. And and what I love about how you work and um, what I think is so important and for people to really recognize is that the way in which you share it is less important than how you share it. I mean, th that you share it. So yeah. in other words, um, I've worked with couples where literally for one year, he balances the checkbook and pays the bill, and then the next year, she does it. So in a very concrete way, there's a uh, sharing of assignments. I've also worked with couples where they're like, you know what? One of you is just happens to be better or more interested or doesn't mind entering things in QuickBooks or Quicken. And so then they just have a financial meeting once a month and so stay involved in, in conversation around it. So that's a way of sharing. I just think there's so many different ways to share. Um, so basically, if you're sitting out there listening and thinking you have to control all the money, and often, I know for me, when I was in that space, I really thought that, you know, um, that's the way it should be. And I had a little bit of a martyr thing going on, like, woe is me, I have to take care of the money in this relationship. And it's really starting to loosen up and saying, how can I share this? And maybe how can I ask my partner how they want to share this as opposed to I'm going to tell them how they're going to share this. I love the fact that you brought up that, that actually if you can share the finances, you're increasing intimacy. If you can find some way that you can both communicate openly about it, you're actually creating more intimacy together. I think that's lovely. I love that. Excellent. Who would have thought that finance could be sexy, right, Shell? Hey, I, I often tell people that since they have trouble talking about it, if they tried doing it with both clown noses and naked and a glass of wine, it would probably work better. Yay. I love that. So um, these conversations are always so short, but um, short and sweet to get people motivated to do something. So if somebody wants to contact you or go on your website, learn more about you or hire you to speak, where would they find out more information about you? So my website is sensiblecoaching.com. And there's all sorts of information on my website from, from um, a, a blog that's on my website to a little quiz about what's your relationship with money. And there's information about how to contact me. And so you can, somebody can just contact me through my website, through sending me an email and, and or calling me, and we'll get together and set up some phone time and play a bit. And when Shell's talking about playing, she's talking about what's called a sample session in coaching. And she is so generous that she offers her time for that one phone call to figure out what's going on and if it's a good fit um, at no cost. So that's certainly, um, I think, a very generous and wonderful thing that she continues to do. So if at all interested, definitely check out our website and think about 
uh, how you might learn a little bit more from her. I want to thank you so much, Shell. It's always great to talk to you. I always learn something, and I think um, uh, rank and revenge is what I'm walking away with today, for better or worse. Yeah, isn't that a great you know phrase? You kind of get that, like, ooh, uh-oh, uh-oh. We have a lot of that going on in politics right now. Oh, yes, yes we do. A conversation yeah. for another day. <laughs> rank and revenge, though. It's really right there. Yeah. So I want to thank everybody for listening to Breaking Money Silence. Uh, I'm Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert and author dedicated to getting people talking about money matters. For more information about my books, my speaking engagement, and my services, please visit the website kbkwealthconnection.com. And remember, together, we can shatter money taboos and start really engaging in healthy financial conversations. Until next time, 